Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Catholic Kalos podcast. I'm Veronica Ambuel, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Colorado Springs, and I'm joined today by uh, Deacon Patrick Jones, who's an award-winning author of Catholic fiction and the founder of Catholic Halos, and Deacon Doug Flynn, who is our general counsel and uh, chancellor here at the Diocese of Colorado Springs. Uh, Before we start our discussion today, uh, Deacon Doug, would you lead us in an opening prayer? Certainly. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. So um, as we're recording this podcast, we're uh, coming up uh, very quickly on the month of November, and um, we thought it would be a, a good time of the year to review the um, corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Um, and there's, there's uh, let's see, seven of each, I believe. Yeah, well, it depends who you ask right? <laughs> and which catechism and you're using. <laughs> and they're named differently. So I know, Deacon Doug, you are going to, um, first of all, point out to us where just where we could find this in the catechism of the Catholic it, Church. It, it took more time than I thought it would because it's not un- in the index under corporal and it's not in there under work. So you have to search for mercy, but eventually you'll find your way to paragraph 2447 uh, that talks about, uh, says, the works of mercy are charitable actions by which... We come to the aid of our neighbor in his spiritual and bodily necessities, instructing, advising, consoling, comforting our spiritual works of mercy as our forgiving and bearing wrongs patiently. I'll start right there. So that's one, two, three, four. That's just six, right? Six. Yeah. So they, um, looks like maybe they combined a couple. um, One, one's outright gone. And I think it's a critical one for spiritual works of mercy, given <laughs> given everything that we're seeing going on with, uh, well, the, there's no other way to say it. It's heresy in the uh, German synod of synods and um, sounds like we're entertaining uh, voices of her- heretical voices in the Vatican documents on synod of synods. Um, so it's to, to, uh, what Deacon Doug was mentioning, the, uh, the version that I have in my prayer book, which is from the 1958, I believe, um, blessed be God prayer book based on the, uh, Baltimore catechism lists, um, the one that's missing is admonish sinners. And what a manful thing uh, for us to do in this time when uh, there is uh, sin running rampant, be it about gender identity, about abortion. um, And we, we are called to admonish sinners and there's three conditions the uh the first one is that uh it's um if it's a mortal sin the second one is if we're in charge as a shepherd over them and the third one is uh if 
there's a um, expectation or if we believe that uh, it will improve them rather than harm them to do so, that it won't increase their sin rather uh, is that either or, or is that list you have to have all three before we're bound to admonish? It uses them? and. So the implication being that we know how to think and it requires all of them. So, I mean, based, based on those um, criteria, we are mostly or more obligated to speak to those that we, that are closest to us, our, our family members and things like that. We're not necessarily, um, being asked to just talk to people who are, are strangers uh, out on the street or something like that. It's, it, it, it kind of all depends on our relationship to the person. Correct. Unless we have an office uh, in the church that gives us shepherding authority over uh, the general population. Um, and that is its own debate that we're not going to get into here. <laughs> As to do deacons have that? Do priests have that? Do bishops have that? Does the Pope have that? <laughs> where where does that uh, delineation occur? Um, but uh, this really brought home to me the the reality of okay, the beauty of these is yes, they happen in daily family life, and. That's what disciplining our children is about. Yes, there can be punishment involved with discipline, but the, the positive aspect, I think, that, that we've mentioned recently of discipline is that uh, it it's giving us the muscles to um, be uh, to have perseverance, the virtue of perseverance. So uh, that happens all the time in family life. That's what... Uh, um, disciplining our children is about. And so you go through this to counsel the doubtful. We do that with our kids, uh, instruct the ignorant. Yep. <laughs> my, my wife instructs me all the time. <laughs> I was going to say that's a two way street. Yep. Admonish my kids and my kids and me. Exactly. <laughs> um, comfort the afflicted, uh, forgive, uh, offenses. I think, uh, bear wrongs patiently. Th those things all happen in family life and then pray for the living and the dead. Um, we, we just buried a loved one ourselves in the last week uh, in our family. And it's been an amazing gift to get to, uh, to pray for them. Um, and that has helped with the, the grieving process. So um, the spiritual works of mercy are, are beautifully incorporated. And when we do them like anything in our faith out of love of God, uh, they benefit us as much as the person that we're praying for or doing an action for. Yeah. Deacon Patrick, I, as I was saying before we uh, started recording um, across the hall here at the pastoral center uh, in our tribunal office, uh, the staff there has set up an altar uh, in the style of the uh, Mexican Dia de los Muertos. Hmm. So um, that I I, I, I kind of hate to say this, but it's probably the easiest way to describe it is um, for anyone who has seen the movie Coco, 
that came out probably four, four years ago now where um, the, the, all the um, pictures, the family pictures of, mem of people who have died, relatives who have died, are placed on just a simple table in the home and then, uh, but they add flowers and uh, some symbolic foods and things like that um, and, and make an altar out of it. And it's, it's, a, it's a very, you know, beautiful, I think, example of what we had talked about a while back of, you know, popular piety. But um, the one of the things that uh, Father Ponce was explaining to me is that uh, the the marigolds that they place around the altar that because um, it's been a while since I've smelled one myself, but they do have a very kind of pungent smell, and so that the 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 souls of the dead are supposed to follow that up to to heaven, and um, and there's a lot of symbolism the illustrating, you know, the people who are still on earth, the church militant, the people who are in purgatory, which is obviously the church suffering, and then those in heaven that are the church triumphant. But, um, you know, it's, it's such a great visual reminder to pray for the dead, to, to have this, this altar set up in one's home, you know, like it really, um, it really materializes it. And, um, and, and as you said too, Deacon Patrick also helps with the grieving process because it really reminds us that, well, that, that person actually isn't, um, gone, you know, their, yeah, their physical body is, but, um, their soul is, is still, uh, alive. And not only that, but that they can, um, as we know, you know, the, um, the souls of purgatory, they can't pray for themselves anymore, but they can pray for us, you know. So it's just a great reminder that we have these um, intercessors at our disposal, so to speak, um, and don't don't like waste that opportunity, you know, to uh, have have them pray for for us. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, it seems like. Uh, some of the some of the other um, ethnic groups do better than we do here in our Anglo world, so to speak, of of having those types of customs to really make um, kind of theological concepts uh, seem more um, understandable. But I, I I just was fascinated as they were you know explaining that, and and it'll be up all through the month of November, you know, that was the other thing that Father Ponce emphasized is, you know, yes, we celebrate All Souls Day on November 2nd, but really the church invites us to pray for those who have died all through the month of November, not just on that one day. The Office uh, for the Dead in the Divine Office or Liturgy of the Hours for uh, the, the Novus Ordo version um, is is a beautiful office it's sparse uh compared to the regular office um and there's actually a schedule uh that you are invited to pray that on the day of burial on the third day after burial the seventh day after burial and the 13th day and um 
it's just a beautiful accompaniment for, for, uh, after a loved one has died to, to pray that. And, um, uh, we've done that some of those as a family and then others of us have done it as, uh, individuals. Um, and that's, that's been really helpful for us. Um, and something you said, Veronica reminded me, uh, St. Padre Pio, one of the stories, uh, of his life is, uh, he would sometimes see souls in purgatory. And so he was going through, uh, I don't know if it was a library or, or someplace in the, um, the monastery there. And, um, he saw somebody who was there cleaning and it was the middle of the night. <laughs> and so he asked, well, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I'm in purgatory and I didn't do my job. I was lazy. <laughs> so I'm getting to do it now. <laughs> so Padre Pio thanked him and prayed for him and kept on going. <laughs> One of the priests of the diocese here tells a story. Um, and I can't remember whether it was his mother or an aunt or uh, some female relative, but when he was a young boy and they would go into church and they would, you know, dip their fingers in the holy water font to make the sign of the cross. She would always dip her fingers a little deeper than he would. And then after signing herself would sprinkle the rest on the ground. And he was like, well, why do you do that? And she said, I'm just sending some water to the holy souls in purgatory. <laughs> it was another cute family story tradition about, keeping those folks in mind and, uh, and praying for them. Well, and then, you know, yeah, definitely in, in line with that, of course, we, um, in the Catholic church, you know, we have the custom of having masses, um, mass intentions, uh, for those who have died. And, um, you know, I, I think it's, it really, um, it really is one of those things that I think um, highlights the the teaching of the church in the sense that, um, and this is not to put anyone down, you know, but, you know, from, from a secular point of view, you know, the common response when somebody dies is like to send flowers, you know, but the C Catholics send mass cards because, you know, flowers really aren't going to do that person any good, but this mass that having a mass said, you know, for their soul. And we, you know, we believe I, I, and also, you know, that kind of ties in with the concept of indulgences too. Um, you know, maybe we'll shorten, shorten their purgatory time. So, um, it, we don't, again, like we don't, the, the church doesn't act as if, that person is just gone, you know, out into the ether somewhere, um, never to be heard from again, you know? And, and so, um, it, it really, yeah, it, it helps keep, keep us tied to that person and, and their, their memory. And also too, I, you know, I'm thinking about it in terms of the, uh, the corporal works of mercy, you know, one of them is, is to bury the dead. And, um, I had remarked to you two before, before, I think it was yesterday that, um, it's interesting that we're discussing this because the human composting is back in the news here in Colorado. Um, this was a practice that was legalized last year and now um it's, it's 
starting to to happen i guess you know where um uh this process is taking place in in um certain designated areas and you know again we the the um the idea that you know in a sense we should treat our bodies as kind of the same way that that animals are or plants you know really flies in the face of um the way the way uh, christ asks asks us to um treat the dead which you know we want their bodies to be treated um with reverence and um you know set uh, buried or set aside in in a sacred area um so it just seems like there it this is one of those um the, the whole idea of our reaction to death is one of those areas that really is highlights the difference between kind of a, a Christian worldview and a more of a, a secular worldview. And that's more and more in stark contrast uh, when you watching different uh, nature shows, things along those lines, they, <laughs> there's more reverence for the animal's life than there is for human life than there is for uh, an animal who's uh, pregnant and it's um, unborn baby. And they use that terminology compared to the t refusing to use that terminology when it comes to humans. Um, and, and how, you know, the whole pack or herd or whatever animal they're talking about gathers around to support and protect the pregnant um, mom as she's getting ready to give birth. And, <laughs> and they're attacking pregnancy centers out there in the world. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very, uh, this post-Christian world that we live in, uh, is very stark and, um, and that's a, that's a w painful example of, um, not recognizing that the human body is a vessel of the soul and therefore um, deserves respect yeah, that, that you're talking about, Veronica. Um, well, this is going to seem very irreverential, but I mean, it, it makes your point in a, in a somewhat sad and funny way, but there is a cartoon or a meme uh, of a baby in the womb. And the caption was baby in the womb tries desperately to identify a sea turtle. So environmentalist mother will keep her alive. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it, that that seems to be where we're at. But um, th that uh, Deacon Patrick, you had mentioned the the pro life movement, and um, you know one of the uh, one of the uh, another one of the corporal works of mercy is, you know, depending on how um, it's worded, is either uh, visiting those in prison, prison, or ransoming the captive. Um, and it reminds me very much of something that happened in my family when we were in, when I was in college, uh, when I was in college. So this is back in the late eighties and, um, I'm 18, 80, uh, but anyhow, the, uh, it, the uh, operation rescue movement was very active at that time. I, I think it still is, but. 
it was very much in the news. Um, a lot of people were getting arrested because uh, basically, basically um, Operation Rescue involved um, pro-life activists kind of um, either, well, it, it was done in different ways, but, you know, kind of maybe blocking the door to an abortion facility or chaining themselves to the door, you know, something, something along those lines. And um, so <laughs> I was, it was a Saturday afternoon and I, so I have two younger sisters, both of whom um, got involved in the pro-life movement about this time. And I was in, in college though, um, up at my dorm in uh, North of Chicago. And I called my parents' house and my dad picked up the phone and um, I said, uh, hi, hi, dad, is, is mom home? And uh, he said, no, she went downtown to see if she could bail out your sisters. And I, what, you know, well, they had both, they were, uh, uh, had gone to an operation rescue event in in downtown Chicago by one of the, and, and had, had been arrested. Um, the way it worked was that, uh, when the police told them to, to move or disperse, they, they wouldn't fight or anything like that. They would go limp. So then they had to be carried into the, um, the car or the paddy wagon, whatever you want to call it. But um, I I think that was the first time, like it really hit me so hard. Oh my gosh, you know, um, this is, this is what we're being asked to do now, you know, is, is to, um, to uh, in a sense, uh, stand up to uh, an unjust, unjust law. And so it was kind of um, just as a funny aside about that. So my sisters were, I believe, both under 21 at that time, and they they got off pretty easily. But my my older sister, um, who uh, joined the convent shortly after that, and um, when she came home to visit after a year, we had to be careful wherever we went because there was still a warrant out for her arrest since she hadn't shown up for her court date. So, um, you know, it, it, it became very tangible that, you know, this isn't something from bygone eras, you know, this is, this is something uh, that is still going on. And I think, you know, um, these days, uh, the, uh, the sidewalk counselors and things like that, um, who operate in our area, um, they're very careful about, you know, not um, trespassing on anyone's private property or anything like that. And they don't have too many run-ins with the law, but there's always that. It, it can never rule out that possibility either. Well, and under the current uh, environment and leadership, uh, we have uh, police showing up, guns drawn at pro-life uh, families uh, has happened at least once, if not a couple of times, I see the headlines over and over and I, I'm not sure when it's a new event, similar one. Uh, and so you've got the, all the kids facing this, um, SWAT aggressive, uh, arresting of the father who's pro-life and it's, it's uh, way out, out of proportion to anything that may or may not have happened. Um, and the accusations leveled at him, but but this environment where uh, 
if you actually have and live your Catholic faith, that's the response that's starting to be accepted at a civil level. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, ransoming the captive and visiting the captive, <laughs> both corporal works of mercy. Well, uh, turning back Patrick to, uh, paragraph 2447, um, where it lists the corporal works of mercy, and we've touched on a couple of them, consist especially in feeding the hungry, sheltering the homeless, clothing the naked, visiting the sick and imprisoned, and burying the dead. So are you at six there again? Uh, do you have seven? The thirsty is the, uh, is the second one on my list. Ah. Otherwise, they're the same. Got it. Oh, and then among all, giving to the poor is one of the chief witnesses to fraternal charity. So almsgiving as a corporal work of mercy. Okay. Well, I, um, I, I think um, one of the things that uh, Pope Francis, and not just him, uh, previous popes too, um, have drawn attention to in terms of these corporal works of mercy is that um, we are, we're not just called to um, help the people who are, you know, homeless and destitute, but also try to think in terms of who out there is just um, very isolated and alone, you know, so think uh, people in, um, you know, nursing homes and or those who are living in their own homes but are homebound and can't really get out. You know, it's not necessarily just like an economic consideration. You know, some t these days what seems to be happening is just that um, families are separated by ge large geographic distances. And so... Um, as people age, oftentimes they don't have uh, their adult children uh, nearby to help them as maybe would happen in the past, you know. So um, I, th I think, you know, one, one of the things that uh, in, in our present day society is to, you know, look for the, um, look for the, the person who may be just right next door who um, materially is is doing okay, but they uh, they're not they they're they're essentially just alone. You know, they're they're not really um, don't really have any ties, uh, family or or community or whatever. And um, you know, see well, if technology has increased that too, right? Because digital connections when when push comes to shove, they don't mount for much. <laughs> well, and again, yeah, especially as people age and um, are uh, unable to do things, you know, for themselves and, and, uh, or they, uh, you know, maybe their mind isn't working the way, the way it used to. And, and um, things are, you know, falling through the cracks, whether it be, um, you know, medications or things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, again, I think one, one of the things the popes have pointed out is 
material, it's true that we probably don't have as many destitute people uh, in our in our midst as we as we used to, but that doesn't like give give us a free pass, you know. To I don't know, legalizing marijuana seems to have uh, brought that back. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that it ta- that is a whole nother discussion there. Yes. <laughs> well, we're doing this as a series of the, the 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 front pages of the prayer book, and in my prayer book, those are done in Roman numerals, uh, so you know that they're in the front section. <laughs> um, and and there's just a beauty power in the power of clarity of uh, as Doug said. Well, as Catholics, we make a lot of lists. <laughs> and there's just a, amazing clarity to that. And uh, I keep using the word manful. Um, the, uh, the, the need for us to stand up and declare what Christ's full revelation is, is a manful act. And that's a gender full term, meaning it applies to uh, both men and women, uh, boys to help them become men and girls to help them become women. And it's a different flavor for each. Um, And we see that in the corporal works of mercy and the spiritual works of mercy, because men go about feeding the hungry differently than women do. Barbecue versus <laughs> cooking being a, one clear cultural uh, example. Um, clothing the naked. Well, providing uh, through a job was traditionally uh, the the husband's job and sewing the clothing, traditionally the wife's job. Um, so th- those different flavors of manfulness are um, are just, they just come through really beautifully. And, and it's, uh, I've realized of late that it's a, it's a good thing to go to those beginning pages of the prayer book and be reminded what are the roots of what I'm striving to live in my Catholic faith. Amen. And a woman. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said that, Doug, cause I was about to, I was about to protest. We we know that about you, <laughs> and we would have come and uh, liberated the captive, ransomed the captive. <laughs> and on that note, yes, we're we're out of time for this episode of the podcast. Um, just before we have our closing prayer, just want to remind everyone that um, you can find this episode and all past episodes of Catholic Halos on Spotify, um, on Apple Podcasts, and uh, several other platforms. So uh, feel free to check us out there. Um, Deacon Patrick. And forward us to your friends. Right, right. That's, that, that is very true. Um, can you lead us in a, a, will you, will you lead us in a closing <laughs> prayer? <laughs> Before we recorded, I confessed to Veronica that I'm always tempted to say, I don't know. Can I? <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> always the smart aleck in the back of the classroom. <clears throat> in nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui Jesus.
Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast.